The Veritas Radio Network is guaranteed the right to offend, annoy, agitate, shout, heresy, and entertain. You should start programming right now. Kind of like the cultural sewage served up on Bravo or CMT, only it's on 24 hours a day. Except Sundays. When the truth gets you angry and you throw your smartphone, remember, no one is forcing you to listen to the truth on the Veritas Radio Network. You can't handle the truth. You're doing that of your own free will. That's what makes this country great and any gay marriage pointless. That's offensive. So there isn't much you can do about it, Chowderhead. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Grab a book, take a vow, and conform your mind to reality. Otherwise, you're just another Judas-inspired Karl Marx wannabe. And your children will steal your credit card number to buy tickets to the Miley Cyrus Twerkers Ball. I came in like a Are you ready? Let's get it on. On the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. Welcome to the live edition of the Philosophy of Badenis. Live classroom and chat room. Here on Wednesday, the 18th of October, 2017, we'll be covering Dahomene Lecture Number 25 tonight. I am your host and laryngitis-infested moderator, Mike Church. Uh, glad to be here with you. Please join the live chat room so you can get the most out of this talk tonight. Go to my website at mikechurch.com. And once you're there on my site, then you see the Dahomey uh, content item should be scrolling at the top of the page. If it's not, under the menu bar, you will see Catholicism, philosophy, but any click that, it'll be like the second selection there. You want the Dahomey main page, scroll about halfway down, you'll see the chat window will pop up there. And then you can log into the chat room and uh, join all the rest of us in the chat room. If you missed any of the previous recorded talks on the lectures, uh, they're in the same exact place that the chat room page was. They're just listed separately. The easiest thing to do to get all the, uh, to get all the audio uh, recordings is to sign up for the RSS page on uh, one of the Dahomey uh, download pages and get yourself an RSS reader and let it update itself, uh, which it'll do automatically. We'll go live now to the St. Benedict Center in beautiful downtown Richmond, New Hampshire, where Brother Andre Marie, our uh, instructor for the evening, is standing by. Brother Andre. Uh, good evening, Mike. <clears throat> good evening, everyone else. Um, I, uh, I, I feel badly for Mike, so um, he and I agreed ahead of time that I'm going to be doing most of the talking tonight. Well, you know what? A bunch of people just went, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that wasn't a power grab or anything. I just, I, just, uh, I, I thought we were going to call it off when I heard you today. I, I didn't think it was going to... Um, 
happen tonight, but oh well. So since it is, and since your your voice is languishing, I'm gonna. Um, I'm, I'm just planning on kind of talking, and, and when you want to say something, just interrupt me, Mike. I, um, it, so, okay, tonight is Dehomini number 25, and I've already put up the um, links to the notes and to the handout in the in the chat room. But I'm going to go ahead and put them up again. Actually, they didn't that didn't turn out right. Uh, I'll do it again. Um, so we're we're talking about. But Brother Francis combined two things. He was, he he has a lot in tonight's um, lectures, and it's. Uh, let's see, did I get both of them? Yeah, I got the notes and the handout up now. Um, he, he he talked about man's supernatural end a bit and 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 what that consists in, and then he also talked about that. Uh, he also went through a part in the Summa where the question being answered by St. Thomas is whether there's anything voluntary in human acts. So I thought that what we would do is I could give my own sort of overview of the the other question, the question concerning man's supernatural end. Um, and I'll talk about that first, and then I'll go to that particular article, the Summa, that Brother Francis um, went through a bit in the lecture. So the I thought that what I would do is is take I have some notes that I'm compiling into something. I have some thoughts that I'm compiling into an article. It happens to be on this very subject. But um, I'm taking it from a slightly different angle. But Brother Francis talks about um, the supernatural character of of our end. Okay, keep in mind, we talk about end, we're talking about purpose, we're talking about finality, uh, we're talking about what the, what the Greeks called telos, Brother Francis used that word again in tonight's lecture, and he, and he said something curious, how the word Latin word finis, which means end, the Greek word telos, which means the same thing, we get tail from it, and the English word end are all very short languages, end of course is the shortest uh, word, because it's only one syllable, but they're all short words in their respective languages, but the meaning is is very rich. A little word conveys a lot of meaning. And, of course, the meaning is really our purpose, um, that, that to which we're directed, that, that which we do everything else in terms of or, or, or for the purpose of gaining. Now, when we're talking about the, 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 purpose, the ultimate purpose of man, it is, of course, heavenly beatitude. And the thought occurred to me recently, and this is why I'm writing something on this ver very thing, uh, and I'm not going to go too far afield of what Brother Francis said here, um, though I'm, I will cover ground that, that, that he didn't. And that is to say that um, the, the concept that most of us have of heaven is very bankrupt, and the concept that, and I think one of the reasons is because the concept that we have of life is very bankrupt, and the concept that we have of living um, a, a devout life or living a religious life is very bankrupt. So I, what I want to try to do is show the connection that exists between the supernatural life of beatitude in heaven and the supernatural life of grace that's begun here on earth. And this is this is a subject that people are are Catholics. I mean, Catholics are woefully ignorant of, and need to be informed of. So, the, the 
be, we can begin by considering various false conceptions of heaven. First of all, the Muslim conception of heaven. You know, there's there 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 are rivers of milk. There are rivers of uh, clarified honey. There are rivers of wine. Interestingly, a beverage that's forbidden to them to drink in life, but there will be rivers of of wine in heaven apparently uh, to compensate for what they had to give up on earth. And in heaven, of course, each man will have something like b- between 70 and 100 uh, women who will miraculously be, be restored to virginity on a daily basis. This is, to say the least, a very carnal concept of happiness. It's a very carnal concept of, of, of heavenly beatitude. Yet this is, this is the, the, the faithful um, uh, interpretation of the Quran and of the Hadith and of the various uh, other sources and authoritative teachings of the Islamic religion. Similarly, we have a, 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 a genuine American-made religion known as Mormonism, which I, I do think is to some degree unjustly maligned, because some of the weird things that they're accused of believing, they don't actually believe, although they do believe a lot that's really incredibly weird. Um, but the, 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 their, their, their eschatology is extremely confusing from what I can gather, but it is clear that um, polygamy exists in heaven. Therefore, um, carnal relations exist in heaven for, for, for the pious Mormon. Whether or not each man inherits his own uh, uh, planet, which he's supposed to populate, is apparently a subject of some speculation within Mormonism itself, and I obviously don't care to get into an internecine squabble about the question. But the fact of the matter is, in both of these religions, which are amazingly similar to each other, um, the the concept of heavenly beatitude is carnal. It's an idea of what makes men happy in this life uh, in, in a very base sort of way, uh, sort of multiplied by a thousand and 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 made uh, to be uh, everlasting. We can criticize these two false religions for having these uh, fake um, um, views, yet, uh, how many of us have an adequate view? I mean, and, and I don't mean a comprehensive view, which we wouldn't have until you get there, but just an adequate view, just a view that's even Christian. Um, you know, how many of us go to funerals and hear people talk about, uh, you know, oh, Bob's, uh, you know, he's 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 playing uh, more holes of golf, you know, in the great uh, golf course in the sky. Uh, or people will take heaven and turn it into a... a um, a terrestrial paradise. Where they're at the piano invention. bar looking down on us with a gin martini. Uh, yes, he's looking down with us on, he's looking down on us with a gin martini in that's his hand. That, that's the most popular so that, one, brother. That kind of concept of, and I can see, you know, I can see it as a joke. That's one thing. But when people can't think of anything above that as what heaven must really be like, um, then I think we have a problem, and it, I think it, I think it, it it connects into the fact that people don't have a clue of the supernatural. So the Christian concept of heaven is clearly entirely supernatural. Heavenly beatitude consists primarily, and we've said this over and over again, in the best activity of what is highest in man, 
This is, this is Aristotle's language, but it's Aristotle's language that St. Thomas elevated. It consists in, in what is the best activity of what is highest in man. The best activity is contemplation. The highest human faculty is the intellect. So we call it the beatific vision. And when we say that, we're borrowing vocabulary from the sense of sight. Uh, but the vision here isn't an act of the eyes. It's something that's done by the intellect, directly intuiting or quote-unquote seeing the divine essence. So that word intuiting is, is from a verb, but intuition, huh? But one can be said to intuit. Uh, and, and that's what the intellect does. It intuits things when it sees something directly. Um, it's, it's with the intellect, then, that we see God. As St. Paul put it, as a, rather our Lord put it, this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Now, St. John writes elsewhere, when he shall appear, he shall be like, we shall be like unto him, because we shall see him as he is, and the he there being God. So we, we know God as part of eternal life, we see him as he is as part of eternal beatitude. So the life of glory in heaven, though, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. It's a fulfillment of the life of grace that's begun here on earth. Uh, the scholastics use the term gratia est semen gloriae. Grace is the seed of glory. From this truth, we can draw some connecting lines that attach the life of grace here on earth to the life of glory in heaven. So the state of glory is a fulfillment of something else that's begun on earth, which we call the state of grace. Here we're given a new nature here on earth by a supernatural adoption, uh, whereby we're made children of God. We're also made partakers of the divine nature, as St. Peter says in 2 Peter 1.4. In other words, we are, we, we are given a new nature added on to our own regular human nature. And it's only by virtue of that new nature, which we can call a divine adoption, that we can call ourselves sons of God. It's only by virtue of that that we're children of God. We're not all born children of God. We're born children of wrath. I mean, this is biblical. Um, but in the supernatural adoption of grace, we go from being um, mere natural men, also tainted with original sin, to being given grace and elevated to a supernatural state of being. That state of being is called the state of grace. It's also called justification. Now, the state of grace is a, is a, is a habit that's infused into our soul, but it's a particular kind of habit. Technically, it's called an entitative habit. I think we've used this word a bit, which we could, we, we could um, reword as being a habit of being, because sanctifying grace gives us a new nature added onto our natural man. It gives us a new kind of being, and you might say a new mode of being. The state of glory, the state of glory in heaven corresponds to that. So I said I'd be connecting dots. So the state of grace on earth makes us holy. The state of glory in heaven is is an uninterrupted holiness, a holiness we can't lose, a holiness that's the fulfillment of the holiness that we had on earth. So the state of glory in heaven corresponds to the state of grace on earth. Both of them are called entitative habits. In other words, they're habits of being. Um, now, I don't know if I'm going too fast or what, but does anybody have any questions about that? 
Yeah, this is why happiness is in the intellect. The intellect must be used to achieve God. Yes. Um, all right. So, so far, I don't have any. All right. Uh, moving right along. Um, now, even though by sanctifying grace, we're raised to a higher nature, uh, this grace that perfects the soul does not give us the power to act according to that new nature. So let me illustrate this with a natural example. Just because I'm a man doesn't mean I have either the virtues or the skills that will make me a good or a useful man. So even to operate minimally as a man, I have to have a, 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 a modicum of certain habits, like knowledge of language, right, so that I can communicate as a man, or the art of gathering food, all right, so that I don't starve to death. These things are called operative habits. Uh, virtues, skills, etc. These are operative habits. They allow me to operate, to work, in other words. Uh, the supernatural counterparts of these operative habits are the infused virtues and also the gifts of the Holy Ghost. These allow us to operate according to our new nature. They allow us to operate as children of God rather than as mere natural men. Um, so, we have this conclusion then. The life of heavenly beatitude is a fulfillment of the life of faith, hope, and charity that's begun in this life. Without these habits, we can't be saved. And by performing acts that are proper to these virtues, we can build up treasures in heaven. In other words, we can merit heavenly reward. So the, but, but interestingly about these virtues now, connecting the dots between them and heaven, uh, the first two are only for this life. Faith and hope go away. We don't need them anymore. They're going to be replaced by something higher in heaven. So faith gives way to vision, and hope gives way to possession. We've said this before in different ways. Um, you, you don't have faith in something unseen when you see it. You don't need faith anymore. It's superfluous. Now you have something better. You have vision. It's direct. Um, hope gives way to possession. You don't hope for something when you've, when you've got it in your hand, okay? So with the intellect, we actually possess God. This, again, is why St. Thomas says that happiness is in the intellect, because it's with the intellect in the beatific vision that we possess God. Now, charity, which is the greatest of these, as St. Paul says, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, you know, it's this beautiful encomium to charity. And he says, uh, now there remain these three, faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. Charity is the thing that's never going to go away. It abides forever. It doesn't, it doesn't change. So there will be an uninterrupted love of God in the will, which ac accompanies the, the possession of God in the intellect, and um, also the, 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 which is also the same thing as the vision of God. Interestingly, faith and hope terminate in the same thing, right? Because faith gives way to vision, but it's by vision that we possess God. It's by that vision of the intellect that we possess God. Um, right, brother, now, brother. along with the infused theological virtues that orient us directly to God as our last end, we have other operative habits that allow us to act in a supernatural way. In other words, habits that allow us to function as children of God. These are what we call the infused moral virtues, especially the cardinal virtues. They don't have God as their formal object. And for, by formal object, I mean the thing to which they're ultimately directed. Um, they have creatures as their formal object. So infused prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude allow us to, 
to act towards creatures in a way that's pleasing to God, in a way that is uh, concordant with our, our, our new adopted nature as children of God. Brother, uh, now, this, huh? I, I was just going to jump in and give a, a quick reset. You're listening to the Philosophy of Prodenis live classroom and chat room here on the Crusade channel. King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers this is the Domine Lecture number 25. And uh, you can join us in the chat room at bikechurch.com. I just click the, uh, the Catholicism tab at the top of the page. It'll take you to the list of, uh, of articles or posts. Select the Dahomey main page. And then from there, you can go into the uh, click the chat room and log in as a guest. Uh, choose your own username and your own password, etc. Also, you can download this and the previous 24 um, recordings of our discussion here tonight. Uh, on the same page at uh, mikechurch.com, and uh, those uh, tapes are all free. And you can also pick up the, the series, the homine, at catholicism.org. That's uh, Brother Andre Marie's uh, uh, the St. Benedict's in her web store. Uh, send Brother an email before you purchase it, though, because he can give you a crusade channel to homine uh, discount on the purchase. After this show, immediately following it, we will have a brand new episode of Reconquest Radio, episode number 98. Is that right? Uh, that is correct. That is correct, Mike. It's episode number 98. And who is our special guest tonight? Our special guest tonight is, uh, is Comandante Charles Coulomb. <laughs> who's, who's going, we're going to be talking about the Holy Grail. I have a case of his books headed my way, or headed his way, rather. And uh, plan to, to talk about it with him soon. So, uh, brother, I thought our gentleman's agreement was I get him first. Oh, uh, well, actually, you know, I thought that when you interviewed him, uh, when you were here for the conference, that that's exactly what you were doing. Oh, touche. Oh, no, seriously, I thought that's what you were doing. I, I, I wouldn't have violated a gentleman's agreement. That's, I'm, 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 I'm kidding. Glad to have it on the, uh, on the channel. So, uh, uh, folks, you're not going to want to miss this because I learned things about the Holy Grail. And I, I learned more about the Holy Grail in 10 minutes with Charles Coulomb. So, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Sir Charles Coulomb. This will be, um, yeah, it's going to be typical Charles. It'll be erudite, yes. it'll be, it'll be entertaining, um, it'll be all that stuff and more. Um, yes. You'll so learn. I, I learned an awful lot too that I didn't know about. The, now I've I've learned some stuff. I've learned some Grail lore before, but he he obviously having written a book on the subject knows way more than I do. Grail so. lore, I like it. Well, I learned more in ten fifteen minutes hanging out with Charles than I learned watching Raiders of the Lost Ark the third part fourteen times. So, <laughs> well, I'm afraid I'm afraid Steven Spielberg doesn't have very much to say. About no, he doesn't. So you're in for a real treat tonight. That's tonight on the Crusade Channel, and of course that episode will be available a la carte as a download in the on-demand store, at CrusadeChannel.com. Brother, I think you're going at a uh, marvelous pace here, and uh, I'm enjoying my secondary role. Please continue. Uh, okay, very good. Yeah, s sip on your uh, sip sip on your. Um, what do you call that stuff? Um, oh, I'll be straight up. Johnny Walker Red tonight. Yeah, Johnny Walker Red. There okay, you go. good. Um, so now, okay, we talked about, we just talked about the moral virtues, how, okay, the theological virtues orient us directly towards God. 
By contrast, the moral virtues direct us towards creature as their formal ob- creatures as their formal object. So, temperance, justice, fortitude, and and justice and um, prudence, which I named out of order, um, those virtues and all of their parts are directed towards creatures. Um, so, you know, by justice we render to a man what is his due. We render to um, you know. Part of justice is patriotism, so we render to our, our homeland, the pantry is the fatherland, actually. We render to the fatherland uh, what is its, its due. And we render to um, uh, the family what is its due by that part of justice we call piety. But then there is one exception uh, to the general rule that the moral virtues are directed to its creatures and not God. There's a particular part of the virtue of justice which is called religion. And that's the part of justice whereby we render to God what is his due. So I have to note that because I don't want everybody to think that all the moral virtues, with no exception, are directed to creatures. By religion, we we refer to God what is his due, principally adoration, thanksgiving, reparation, and petition, those four acts that are that are intimately wound up in the mass. Every mass uh, has acts of adoration, thanksgiving, reparation, and petition. Um, so this is this is the only virtue. Religion is the only virtue whose formal object, among rather the moral virtues, is God and not a creature. Whereas the theological virtues have no other object than God. Okay. Now, we we won't need all of the moral virtues in heaven. I already talked about the, how the theological virtues to connect to glory. The first two go away, they're replaced by something better. The third, charity abides. But when we're talking about the moral virtues, St. Thomas has a very subtle teaching on this that's not even worth going into now. But he says that the fulfillment of all of those virtues is in pos- possessed in heaven, but the actual operation of all the virtues isn't going to be there. So we don't have to be patient, for instance, in heaven because there's no suffering. But the reward of patience is going to be there. Now, in light of this, though, it's easy to see, in light of what we know about the virtue of religion, that it's a matter of rendering to God what is his due, it's very easy to see uh, that religion as a virtue is going to be practiced in heaven, and it's going to be perfected by the gift of the Holy Ghost that we call piety. So it, too, is going to abide forever. Um, in the book of the Apocalypse, also known as Revelations, uh, we get a little peek at heaven, and the, the saints in heaven are praising God. They're adoring Him. They're petitioning Him. Uh, they're thanking Him. Um, and uh, they're, 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 they're offering reparation for sin. They're doing all of those acts. Actually, in, in eternity, reparation won't even be necessary. Um, w- once, once the final judgment happens, reparation will no longer be necessary. But all those other acts of the virtue of religion will be present. Now, um, when we perform acts of those virtues with ease and facility, the, result, the acts that result are called fruits of the Holy Ghost. That's a list of 12 that St. Paul gives in Galatians chapter 5. Now, when the gifts of the Holy Ghost enter in and perfect the activity of the virtues, the acts that flow from that are called the Beatitudes. Some of this stuff is a review. We've already talked about it before. I'm trying to kind of systematize it a little bit. The Beatitudes are a foretaste of the life of heaven. And when we read the lives of the saints and we see the, the amazing deeds that they did, it's good to have those eight Beatitudes 
sort of at our elbow so we can we can we can be every once in a while taking an account oh okay yeah that's a manifestation of the beatitude of blessed of the poor in spirit or that's a manifestation of the beatitude of blessed of the clean of hearts because you see this stuff in the lives of the saints um so as we see and as we've said the life of grace on earth is entirely supernatural in character we don't stop being men we don't stop being humans Grace builds on nature, it does not destroy it. So with grace, we remain fully human, and we have all of our human faculties. But the life of grace itself, that inner life, that that soul of the soul, a sanctifying grace is sometimes called, uh, still remains radically supernatural. Um, now, if that's true of, of the life in via, in other words, the, the life that we live here on earth on the way, that's what in via means, then it's also true in an even higher sense of the life of glory, that the life in patria, when we're in the heavenly fatherland, uh, the, the, that life is going to be supernatural in character. So while the blessed in heaven remain fully human, the state of glory and the possession of God by the beatific vision is something that is supernatural in character. Supernatural in character. And this is something that I, I think Catholics need to have something of a grasp of this so that we stop saying stupid things about Bob drinking a martini in heaven. Um, because heaven, we don't need that stuff in heaven. There won't be rivers of wine in heaven. Now, in the Old Testament, there were many promises made that were carnal in nature. We see uh, uh, Judith and Esther and Job and many of the, of the holy people of the Old Testament rewarded with material rewards. Um, and we also have in the Old Testament and also in Jewish apocryphal uh, literature, these promises about the Messianic era being an era of you know an abundance of wine, an abundance of wheat, an abundance of oil, an abundance of all those things that were considered to be signs of richness and 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 plenty. But there's a reason for this, and at the risk of sounding offensive, and this is certainly not I'm certainly not being provocatively offensive here. No, brother, offend, offend. <laughs> The, the Saint Thomas Aquinas says that the Old Testament was written was was written for children, and the new and that the new the Old Testament was for children, and the New Testament is for adults. Can I ask a question? Yes. Yeah. Oh, Mitter brother, Mitter brother, I have a question. Would you say then that just based on what you just said about wine and the material in the Messianic era, um, is that kind of a um, does that help to explain the concept? of purgatory to our friends that don't believe in it that that's kind of what existed before our lord went and unlocked the keys to uh to 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 heaven and then mm. there had to be a purgatory I don't, it's probably a deep theological question isn't it well okay so 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 purgatory so um where our lord let the the what our Lord liberated was was what we call the limbo of the fathers. So okay. when we say in the creed that he that he descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead, the descent into hell is not is not the descent into purgatory. It's the descent into limbo. Okay. And that limbo is is called the limbus patrum, the limbo of the fathers, and it was it was part of the nether world that was not heaven, but it was not a place where they were punished. Now, there could have been some kind of natural enjoyment there, 
but it's compared to St. Peter, but it's compared by St. Peter rather to a prison because uh, our Lord that goes and preaches to them that were in prison, St. Peter says in, in one of his two canonical epistles, I forget which one, um, and he's talking about uh, uh, all of the just of the Old Testament who are awaiting um, his coming and who are awaiting, you know, admittance into the beatific vision. So it's compared to a prison, uh, uh, yet it wasn't uh, without some natural level of beatitude. Uh, I don't think they were drinking wine there because, I mean, they're, they're pure, you're talking about pure spirits. Right, right. The, right. the, thing, the thing about these material promises of abundance is that so as is so frequently the case what is what is a physical or material thing in the old testament um stands for something s spiritual and, and transcendent okay uh, in the new so um the 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 promise by the way the promises of an abundance of wheat and wine and oil don't we see that fulfilled in the sacraments that's where they're that's where that stuff's ultimately fulfilled i mean the best wheat is the bread of life sure the best wine is the precious blood this is how we see those things ultimately fulfilled so the 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 the, the types and figures of the old testament give way to the greater realities of the new now when St. Thomas says that thing about the old law is for children and the new law is for adults, mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's actually careful not to insult the saints of the Old Testament because he said that there are many saints in the Old Testament who lived like adults, and there are many Christians who live like spiritual children. Okay. Mitter brother, mitter brother, follow up. You just said something that I thought was uh, worthy of uh, just a little bit of uh, extended dialogue. You don't know which... Epistle of St. Peter, you're quoting the first, as Brother Francis says, the first pope is basically the encyclical one and encyclical two. Um, we don't know which, uh, I don't know which one you're quoting, but you said that St. Peter said he compared this to a prison, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, at the end of St. John's Gospel, we learn that this, this is not a full accounting of everything that our Lord did and our Lord said. Doesn't this Correct. kind of go to the tradition that the apostles knew an awful lot more than they could possibly have written down that our Lord taught them? Oh, yeah, sure. I just wanted to point that out because we might have some you know, some people that are on the fence listening and may wonder where some of this stuff comes from, and I just thought... Was... Uh, okay, so, but the thing about St. Peter, I just found it. It's the first epistle of St. Peter, chapter 3, verse 19. Okay. Um, he says, "...in which also coming he preached to those spirits who were in prison." which had been sometime incredulous when they were waiting for the patience of God in the days of Noah, when the ark was a building, wherein a few that his eight souls were saved by water. This is, St. Peter is actually comparing baptism to the ark here, uh, to, to the flood. And he's, he's talking about people who were incredulous during the time that the ark of Noah was built. They died, but they died in the flood and they died penitent lives. So, so Noah, Noah and his children the, the, and his wife, and their wives, those eight people that were saved, those people weren't the only ones that were saved. Ah. Uh, the, 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 the old fool Noah, who was eccentrically building an ark in his front yard, um, uh, his preaching got heeded by some of these people at the last minute because they made it into limbo. And Christ went and preached to them who were, quote, in prison. Um, and this is, uh, this, so the Douay Reims commentary says, uh, see here a proof of a third place or a middle state of souls. For these spirits in prison to whom Christ went to preach after his death were not in heaven, nor were they in hell, the hell of the damned. 
because heaven is no prison and Christ did not go to preach to the damned. So this is, again, the limbo of the fathers, but it's sort of like purgatory. You could, you could, you could talk about it in, in, uh, as having a, um, a relationship to purgatory. Uh, there are more. There's a much more direct proof of purgatory in the New Testament, but it would take us off course. Okay. I wrote an article on it in case anybody's interested, called "Proving Purgatory." I, I read. So, it. if you want to look that up, you can go there. So, um, all right. Um, now, there, there's a. So, I think we covered that. Um, the the subject of how the life of grace here on earth sort of has these connecting lines. So each, you know, the state of grace, each of the virtues, whether moral or theological, the gifts of the Holy Ghost, all these things have a connecting point to some reality that's in heaven. And depending upon how we live those virtues on earth, that's going to fix our, our place in heaven. Um, and without without them, and without the state of sanctifying grace, we don't get heaven at all. Because, because again... Uh, glory, uh, gratia est semen gloriae. Grace is the seed of, of glory. Um, another way of saying this is that grace is glory begun. Grace is in, incipient glory on earth, and glory is fulfilled grace in heaven. But you have to have the, the grace on earth before you have the glory in heaven. And it is a, something of an entirely supernatural character. You can't buy it. You can't learn it. You can't do any of it on your own. It's it's it depends upon a free and unmerited supernatural gift of God. But once we have that free and unmerited supernatural gift of God, we can then begin to merit according to this new nature. And that doctrine of merit, once we get grace, once we're in the state of supernatural grace. With the help of God's continuing stream of actual grace, we can build up treasures in heaven, to use our Lord's words, and we can um, uh, uh, we can uh, merit. We can, that is to say, um, uh, get a higher mansion in heaven. Okay, so the idea that the the idea that heaven is all equal, that the saints are all equal in glory, is a Calvinist idea. This is not a Catholic idea. It's it's not something that the Eastern Rite Christians are going to. It's the Orthodox don't believe this. The the um, nobody believes this, but 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 these these heretics that came along in, in the in the um, in the 16th century and made up a new religion um, because they reject the Catholic concept of grace. So. Um, you know, the Protestants harp on the fact that grace is an unmerited supernatural gift. It is. But there's a great division, a great distinction that St. Thomas made when he talked about actual grace. He distinguished between operating grace and cooperating grace. Can anybody remember if we actually talked about this at any point? Um... I think we talked about well. You talk about uh, apparatus something. Um. So so operate. So just very quickly, operating grace is when God works in us without us. So he he works in us without our cooperation. He gives us grace in order to stir us up to belief, in order to stir us up to repentance of sin, yeah, yeah, in we, order to st- okay. We covered it in twenty one or twenty two. God's working in us without us. Yeah, we covered this. Yeah, we did. Okay, cooperating grace is us working with God, 
But the grace doesn't come from us, the grace comes from God. So there's a partnership formed. Once we're in the state of supernatural grace, once we're in the state of grace, we're God's adopted children. Now we can operate in that divine order of things. Um, To use a very powerful term from Scripture, we're gods, okay? Now, we're not gods in the Mormon sense, because they believe that God was a man who became God. (laughs) We don't believe that. But we do believe in this concept of divinization, being made godlike, being made divine by grace. We remain creatures, okay? Um, so um, that that distinction between operating grace and cooperating grace, if people had actually firmly believed that and attempted to live it, I don't think the Protestant Reformation would have happened. Um, so I have two questions. The first is, how do, you, how do I know if I'm in the state of grace? Is it possible to know? Well, strictly speaking— Strictly speaking, it's impossible to know um, uh, with it, with an absolute certitude. One can have what's called a moral certitude, which is sufficient. Um, so the 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 uh, if if we're not cognizant of 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 being guilty of a mortal sin, then we are we can safely assume that we're in the state of grace. If we've you know if if we've been been baptized, we live in the life of grace. We're, we're living a sacramental life. Um, if we're not cognizant of a mortal sin, then it's safe to say that we're in the state of grace. Um, but we, we can't have absolute certitude unless it's revealed to us supernaturally. Um, so that's one question. And then, oh, that other one was a joke. Uh, wait, we're supposed to cooperate with God. Yes, Jazzville, <laughs> we are supposed to cooperate with God. Okay, so I think we, 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 we settled that one. Now, brother goes into uh, the question from the Summa, um, whether there's anything voluntary in human acts. And of course, obviously the answer is yes, but he's going to deny uh, in the objections that there's anything voluntary in supernatural acts. And the first objection goes to the, to the um, concept that Something is voluntary if it has the principle within itself. So, in other words, if the principle of activity is within itself, then it is said to be voluntary. Yet, we see man's appetites being moved to act by things that are outside of him. So, the principle of man's acts are outside of him. Therefore, man is not, uh, uh, man's acts are not voluntary. So, you see the, uh, the nature of the objection? So the, the, now, St. Thomas is going to go into what a principle is. Um, there can be an extrinsic principle and there can be an intrinsic principle. But, so there can be multiple principles of our activity. If, so here, here's the way he answers that objection. Not every principle is a first principle. Therefore, although it is essential to the voluntary act that its principle be within the agent, Nevertheless, it is not contrary to the nature of a voluntary act that this intrinsic principle be caused or moved by an extrinsic principle, because it's not necessary, it's not essential, rather, to the voluntary act that its intrinsic principle be a first principle. Yet again, it must be observed that a principle of movement may happen to be, okay, I don't want to get into genus and species and all that, it's going to get complicated. So, in other words, um, uh, we eat the food because we see it, and our appetite of hunger is stirred up, right? Um, yet, that doesn't mean that the act isn't volitional. 
I can be moved from outside, yet something in me makes a positive choice. That's all that's saying. Um, okay, so the next objection is that the philosopher, that is Aristotle, proves that in animals no new movement arises that is not preceded by motion from without. But all human acts are new, since none is eternal. Consequently, the principle of human acts is from without, and therefore there is nothing voluntary in them. Now, he answers that um, by saying that, um, okay, two movement, the new movements in animals are indeed preceded by emotion from without, and this in two respects. First, insofar as by means of an extrinsic motion, an animal's senses are confronted with something sensible, which on being apprehended moves the appetite. Thus, a lion on seeing a stag in movement and coming towards him begins to be moved towards the stag. Secondly, insofar as some extrinsic motion produces a physical change in an animal's body, as is the case of cold or heat, and through the body being affected by the motion of an outward body, the sensitive appetite, which is the power of the body, the organ, is also moved indirectly. Thus it happens that through some alteration in the process, it, rather in the body, the appetite is aroused to desire something. But this is not contrary to the nature of voluntariness, as stated above. For such movements caused by an extrinsic principle are another genus of movement. So just because we're cold and we want to seek warmth, or just because we see something that we want to eat and we therefore eat it, just because our emotions or our sensible appetites are moved doesn't mean that the decision to react is involuntary. And then the third objection is um, further, he acts voluntarily, he, he that acts voluntarily can act of himself. But this is not true of man. For it is written in John 15, 5, without me you can do nothing. Therefore, there is nothing voluntary in human acts. Now, this is kind of a pietistic sort of answer. So here's the response to that. God moves man to act not only by proposing the um, appetitable ap 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 to the senses or by affecting a change in his body, but also by moving the will itself. Because every movement, either of the will or of nature, proceeds from God as the first mover. And just as it is not incompatible with nature that the natural movement be from God as the first mover, inasmuch as nature is an instrument of God moving it, so it is not contrary to the essence of a voluntary act, that it proceed from God, inasmuch as the will is moved by God. Nevertheless, both natural and voluntary movements have this in common, that it is essential that they should proceed from a principle within the agent. And by the way, this ties into what was just said. When John's will said, you mean we need to cooperate with God? This is exactly what St. Thomas is saying. And here's a tremendous mystery. God moves the human will by his grace. That's what actual grace does. But we still have an obligation to cooperate. And what St. Thomas is saying is there's a motion from outside, from an extrinsic movement from God, and that extrinsic movement is the, 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 the actual grace moving the will. But then there has to be an intrinsic movement of the will itself to, to actually move, to cooperate. And there is a mystery of, of the faith, the mystery of grace and free will. But without that movement on our part, it doesn't happen. 
Because, uh, for instance, St. Augustine says in a famous passage, God who created you without your cooperation will not save you without your cooperation. So although we have an extrinsic motion of God's grace to move the will, the will itself must intrinsically be moved. Okay. I think we got that. Now, let's go to the on the contrary. So the said contra is... Uh, Damascene, this is this is Saint John of Damascus, called the called the Damascene, sometimes pronounced Damascene. Now we used to name our we, we still do, we name our vehicles after saints, and this is kind of a funny light story. Back in the day, <clears throat> when Father Feeney was around and Brother Francis they were in Still River, they had a truck on the property that they used as a work truck to, to haul, you know, wood and all kinds of stuff, all right. fill and that kind of thing. And it was constantly breaking down. So they named it Damachine. <laughs> a nice little yeah. play on words there. <laughs> Damachine. I got it. Uh, so, so according to St. John Damachine, the voluntary <sighs> is an act consisting in a rational operation. I was going to ask so, if it was double parked next to Maloof's camel. <laughs> yeah. Remember uh, that joke? Now, uh, okay, now, now such are human acts. Therefore, there was something voluntary in human acts. So St. Saint Thomas is saying, yeah, because uh, something voluntary is something that consists in a rational operation. And by the way, St. Thomas himself defines the will as the appetite of the intellect, so or the rational appetite. So, so. You know, the, 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 the animal appetites that we have in us are called the passions, but the will is the rational appetite. It's the appetite of the reason or the appetite of the intellect. Um, so um, that's what makes an act voluntary. And this, by the way, remember we talked um, a year ago or more about, about uh, uh, actus humanus and actus hominis, a human act and an act of a man? To be a human act... It has to be voluntary. So if I if I trip and fall, like you know, a rock might fall, or or, or an inanimate object might fall. That's not that's an that's an act of a man, but that's not an act. Uh, that's an actus humanus, but it's not an. Uh, uh, sorry, it's an actus hominis, but it's not an actus humanus. It's a it's not a human act. It's the act of a man. But if I think, if I speak language, if I make a free choice to do something. That's a human act. And only when we have a human act is it voluntary, and only when it's voluntary or volitional, done by the will, is it, uh, is it uh, sinful or meritorious. So it's only with the will that we can sin, and it's only with the will that we can do something um, good and holy. I thought you were going to say you think, therefore you are. <laughs> no, no, we're not Cartesian. No, here. I know that. We give you a chance uh, to talk about that. All right, brother, we have uh, six minutes left here in Dahomey lecture number twenty-five. Remember, 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 when Dahomey is finished, it'll be a brief uh, little uh, little commercial timeout. Not really commercials, promo timeout, and then promptly at seven a seven p.m. Central. That's eight p.m. Eastern time. You will hear episode number ninety-eight of Reconquest. This uh, with a special guest, Charles Coulomb, uh, talking about his new book, The Catholic... See, I know the title of the book, The Catholic Quest for the Holy Grail. And um, it's a great book, and it's a great story that you're going to want to read. I can't wait to read it. 
And um, um, after that, of course, keep it tuned here to the Crusade Channel, and I'll be with you tomorrow morning. Brother, we're going to have to do something special for episode number 100. Now, I know you're not allowed to have birthdays at the SBC, so uh, we'll have to figure out if it falls on. On what feast day does it fall on? <laughs> so We'll celebrate the 100th birthday of Reconquest. Yes, we'll celebrate the 100-something of Reconquest based on whoever's feast day that is. Okay. That way you yep, all, that way that way all the sisters can bring you uh Saint whoever gifts. Okay. Okay, that sounds great. So um, you got 3 minutes to wrap up, brother. Okay, so um uh Cesar is acting Actus Humanus requires the use of my will. Yes, Actus Humanus requires the use of your will. Oh, exactly. brother, that's all Saints Day. Pardon? It's November the 1st. That's all Saints Day. Oh. That's going to be the oh my goodness! Yeah. It's all All Saints Day is all, the, oh we'll have to do something really special there. Yes, it's All Saints Day. I already booked Charles Coulomb for the Mike Churchill on All Saints Day to or no I booked him for Halloween to do the hit the real Catholic history of Halloween, which I can't wait for the audience to hear. So, oh th- yeah, that that that'll be good. Yeah. I know that'll be good. Yeah, no, I've I've, I've read it. I read what he's written about it uh, before. So uh, we'll figure out something. All right, brother, please continue. Wrap up. So, um, I, I actually, I, it would be useless for me to attempt to read the uh, Respondeo, which is too long. But, you know, just, just to summarize, um, human, human acts are indeed volitional. Uh, just because we can be moved by something outside, our appetites can be moved outside by things that they perceive. And our will can be moved from outside by God, doesn't deny that our acts are free, that our acts are voluntary. Uh, because there's still an internal principle of motion in us in the will. Um, so that's about all I've got, Mr. Mike. Well, so we've reached the end of uh, Dehomene number 25. Now, Brother Ray actually did cover it. He started talking about a psalm. I think it was Psalm 130 again. Yeah, he, he did. He, 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 spent, uh, he spent some time on... Um, it was actually Psalm 138. Yeah. Oh, okay, 138. My bad. Um, and uh, he, he talked a little bit about. Uh, he he kind of tied it to the. Um, he kind of tied it to the topic, uh, but I think that the the, the thing to remember uh, about the reason why Brother Francis always uh, brought a psalm in at the end is the first thing he did was he read it in Latin, and he made uh, you know, he told everyone that this is your assignment for the week. You will learn the psalm in Latin. We at least yeah. learn to read it in Latin, and that's how we learn Latin. So uh, we should always keep that in mind as part of our uh, Thomistic training, uh, as part of our ph- philosophic training, That, and I always do, brother, that whenever I get a chance to read something in Latin alongside something in English, or to make it a real challenge, is read in Latin and go like, okay, what does that say? Um, I can usually get about a third to a half of it correct. I, I have trouble with the cases and the tenses and all that, but I can get the gist of it. Um, and the longer you do that, uh, I think the more your uh, our logic training pays off because you know you're using an awful lot of logic when you're trying to translate Latin. <laughs> yep, a lot of, a lot of grammarian logic. Now next week we will cover lecture number twenty six, and, um, and then the following week we'll uh, we'll we'll have the uh, the birthday the birthday bash here. 
Uh, y'all can all put the, uh, we'll all get together, me and Josh and Craig and, uh, and the bowl and, uh, and, and everyone else. And we'll have a nice, uh, uh, a nice all saints day cake shipped to the, to the center. We'll get John Whitney to bring it by with a, uh, <laughs> with, with, our local man, huh? Our local man with two candles on it and, uh, celebrate, uh, almost two years, but 100, oh, well, a hundred candles. Oh, oh, uh, you'll become a what is that a um a centenarian S- centenarian i think a, a centenarian yeah wow brother you get a sound effect hey great that's that's wonderful for my humility whatever there is of it okay 45 seconds to go thank you all for attending tonight uh, your lecture will be posted sometime tomorrow or early friday morning at MikeChurch.com, alongside the other 24 lectures. That rounds it off. A nice little quarter of a century, 25 uh, uh, lessons now in the can here for Dahomene. And uh, we'll continue next week. Stay tuned for a brand-new episode of Brother Andre Marie's Reconquest with Charles Coulomb right here on the Crusade Channel. King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. May God bless you and Mary keep you. <laughs> <laughs>